Hi everybody, it's Jenny and Lorraine and it's Hi. um Hiya. We're we're a bit fraught today, aren't we? Yeah. So we're recording this um before it's released on the Monday, so it's now Wednesday of last week when you're listening to this. Which is yeah. the day that the new website is going live. And tomorrow we both leave to head off to the autism show. Um, and inevitably there'll be a few kind of glitches and things with the website that will need fixed. Um, but all that aside, come the time you listen to this on Monday, we'll be out the other side. We'll have had a fab autism show. We'll have a funky new website and everything we've been on about and all the benefits that we have to offer everyone will now be out in the public. Yeah, it's really exciting and it's so hard to sit on it because I thought the website was going to go live on Monday and it's like, I can't wait to tell everybody. And then Tuesday, I can't wait to tell everybody. I'm so excited and we still can't tell anybody. I know, I know. But so hopefully, hopefully, by, hopefully they're listening now and they know. Yes, they will know. They will know. And you will know that um, you'd be mad not to be a VIC on in, in all seriousness. Yeah. You would be crazy, even if you haven't got any sensory challenges at all and you don't want a Chewy Gem and you just want to be a member level, the money that you'll save on the discounts is huge. And on top yeah. of that, um, even if you're not a chewer and you've got other SPD issues, then just being part of our amazing community, it's just, it's just fab, dead exciting. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, we digress. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this week... Uh, we are chatting to Kate Gaster. I think it's Gaster, or is it Gaster? Yeah. I say Gaster. I, I say Gaster. Yeah, I think Gaster. If we're wrong, Kate, please correct us. <laughs> yes. And Kate is from um, Girls Autistic Journey. Yeah. So she has a page, a Facebook page, definitely worth going and having yeah, a look. it's an amazing page. It really is. And she does lots of live videos and things as well. Yeah. Um, and she's just a real lovely, genuine person. Um, yeah. So go check her out. But first, listen to what she has to say in our interview. And we'll be back after. Bye. Bye. We love a net and we love a jet. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Right, hello everybody. We're back with another Sensory Matters episode and today I've got the great pleasure of welcoming Kate Gaster. Hi Kate. Hi, nice to see everyone. <laughs> Hi, thank you for joining us. Now Kate has a blog called Girls Autistic Journey um, right. and she has a daughter who's autistic but there's also lots more going on in your life so we'll talk about that in a bit. But first of all, I know from um, what you've said is that your daughter tends to think that everything's alive. Tell us a story about that. Yeah, so generally um, she sees everything as living. So um, in, in um, objects, you know, like a cup, anything like that, she, she sees it as, as living, that it has feelings, that if you do something to it, it'll be upset. So um, it's very difficult for her sometimes if people are throwing things out. Um, actually, thinking about it, this is a perfect story. So when we went to the local Tesco's once, there was a rocking horse, you know, like a children's rocking horse. Yeah. And someone had put it out and it was on the grass ready for the dustman. And she was absolutely heartbroken. She went up to it. She said to him, 
I'm so sorry that someone's done this to you. I absolutely, I'm really sorry. She was cuddling it. She was absolutely sobbing because she said, I don't understand how someone can have all that happiness and joy with him, which they probably had, and then they just put him out on the street. For her, she just... You know, equally, if she wears one jacket, she feels sad for the other jacket. Yeah. Um, so she just she just sees everything as having feelings or meaning, um, which completely um, busts the myth about autistics are not empathetic. Yeah, I was about to say exactly the same. <laughs> you know, it absolutely that she, if anything, and I think a lot of autistics identify with this is that that she's over over empathetic. Yes. She, you know, and it causes her sometimes I would say extreme difficulty with her emotions yeah. because she can't control that feeling. Yeah, um, and and she possibly feels it so strongly it's almost physical sometimes. The abs- absolutely, and I mean honestly, for about for about a week, every time we went past Tesco's. He obviously he'd gone, but yeah. she would get tearful and say, "The horse," you know. Aww. She was still con- considering the horse every, all the time. And then it, it rained a little while after as well. And she said, "He's all he's getting wet. He's in the cold." And wow. You know, so it is, it, it, you know, it's something that at first I found different, but I've learned to accept that. You know, I can understand what 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 how she feels if you do have those moments and spend time with with uh, something how can you just throw yeah. it away you know I, I get I get that yeah that makes sense doesn't it wow okay so your daughter's 10 now yes yeah that's correct yeah yeah, yeah. so um talk us talk us through kind of life and how it all started and when you figured out that she was autistic so um the, my pregnancy was okay. I was quite sick with my daughter, um, but I went full term and everything was fine. Normal, normal birth, no problems. Um, quite quickly, I realised that she had problems feeding and she had reflux. Okay. Um, so that was that was something that was that was picked up, um, and I strongly believe now that that is there is a connection between. People, uh, or, or you know, being autistic and reflux. Really? I, 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 personally, yeah. I I feel there is definitely because my husband suffers with reflux and my son does, and I've spoken to multiple autistics who have that problem, and I do think it is sort of interconnected. Mm. Now, um, so she had the reflux. Um, also, uh, we we kind of found that if if she was sort of just left. Um, and wasn't didn't have movement she became very distressed very upset and wouldn't settle so we we got her like a swing that you could have indoors right Uh, and when she was in that she was absolutely happy you know when it was moving and I'm talking you know literally like weeks old she was really really happy um but as soon as you take her out she was distressed we also started to notice that as she got older um there was very little interaction with us. Um, she didn't, you know, she she wasn't looking out to sort of connect with you in any way. Um, she was just very happy just to see, sort of be on her own. Yeah. Um, so, and her speech was very delayed. She she didn't speak until she was three and a half. Okay. So she was. It was about six months before she started school that she started to speak. And I'm talking 
one words, you know, two words together, not, you know, not sentences. Um, what she used to do a lot of the time, if she was hungry, she'd say, ah, 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 uh-huh. like that. That, yeah. that was her way of saying hungry, or she would say, deuce, deuce, you know, that 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 was sort of the, the you know, how her vocabulary was for a long time. Um, she started school, um, and we thought she was going to be okay, but then as she progressed in school, even in reception, things deteriorated. Um, she she was reluctant to go. Um, I think starting school was the turning point of when we really, really realised that something, you know, was different. Yeah. And she'd always been extremely quirky, extremely different and very, very individual. But we absolutely loved that and embraced yeah. that about her and just said she's ivy you know we love it yeah um, but when she started school it it became more it was that more anxiety and you could see she was she was struggling um her first school recognized that she did have some difficulties um but we felt as a family that they couldn't really offer what what she needed so um we we moved her from there in between that, I had gone to um, the GP, mm-hmm. but they were again saying, oh, you know, the school will pick something up if there's a problem. They'll let you know. They'll tell you. So the school had recognised something, but we didn't feel that they were um, supporting enough. So there was another mainstream school locally that had a really good reputation for children that had um, SEN, you know, like special education yeah. needs. So um, we moved her there. Um, and she was there two weeks and within two weeks they called me in and they said we think she's autistic um you know very very quickly they picked up on the lack of social understanding had had you before they mentioned that had you thought that or was that totally bolt out of the blue well we we had discussed a lot about or about could she be autistic but i think we were quite naive then and when we looked on the internet and we looked at um what you would look for um you know there was nothing really about girls yeah it's all all, but you know boy it's all boys are all it's when you look at autism it's always boys Mm -hmm. you know you did i didn't really find a lot about girls and obviously um on the uh, on the internet the symptoms can be quite varied um and a lot of it I thought no I thought you know I'm not sure Mm. we'd sort of considered it but you know it wasn't you know it wasn't out of the blue but we definitely weren't sure okay um but obviously the school had had previous autistic girls there and they said we really feel that this is you know this is what's going on so she was referred to the pediatrician Mm -hmm. and they did um an ADOS test which is um she sort of went into a room and the speech therapist asked her multiple questions um, and different scenarios um, and they used quite a lot of play really around around it. So, for instance, they would have a picture of um, a family on holiday and they would ask her questions um, about the picture and what she thought. Um, and I think I'd always, I hadn't realised until then because I wasn't allowed to speak for her. Yeah. I had to sit back and it was, and I think at that point, it really, I really realised how much I was interacting for her yeah. and how much I was prompting her. So saying, if someone was saying something, I'd say, oh, Ivy, 
and then say, yeah. you know, why don't you say this or why don't you ask that? And it wasn't until obviously I couldn't do that mm -hmm. and I thought, wow, she really just doesn't really communicate how you would expect her to do. Um, and afterwards, the speech therapist said, obviously, you'll, you'll get the results. But she said, um, be between us, I think it's very likely that, that Ivy is autistic. And then I think it was about three months after that, we saw the consultant again. And um, they, they've officially diagnosed um, autism spectrum disorder. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't a shock. But it, it, I wasn't 100% sure. Um, what was going on I wasn't sure if it was learning difficulties yeah. or what was happening um, but yeah so they diagnosed and discharged in the same appointment actually so wow. yeah it was a diagnosis and discharge yeah wow. okay <laughs> so, done dusted yeah. job done yeah so how, how did life change after that after getting an official diagnosis I think um, we I saw it as a positive because I saw it that right okay we know now what what the situation is so we can now actively support ivy in the correct way yeah um and we I, i've always been very proactive with the specialist autism teachers that were in the school and supporting her so they did like zones of regulation and you know i took that brought that home and i learned about that and i set up a whole system at home for ivy and she ended up taking that system into school with her so i've always been really really active in supporting yeah. um but equally you know it needs to be led person-centered so i think if ivy you know was struggling or didn't want to do something around a certain uh, support system then i would never pressure her into doing that it definitely had to be led through her yeah. Um, and the zones really, really helped. She loved that. So that was really, really positive. But we went as well. There's a local charity that does a lot of um, talks. So we went to quite a few of those about um, autism. And um, there was Sarah Hendricks, who we went and saw there, which yeah. was brilliant. She's she's really good. Um, and it was actually at, at that um, talk that my husband, because me and my husband went, and when we went to that talk, my husband afterwards, he actually broke down and got really upset. And he said, I think I'm autistic. Wow. Um, because he'd, he'd obviously always, he'd struggled as a child and, you know, being a little bit different, I guess. And he said, I, I really think that's what, that's what it is. That's, you know, because he felt like when Sarah was talking about being autistic, autistic it was exactly how he felt yeah um so yeah so I think it kind of it did change some things but definitely f f for the better with without a doubt so um and obviously my I have a son as well and um we started to realize we looked back at his childhood yeah uh, so is he yeah. older than Ivy Yes, so he, he's 12, okay. so he's two years older, and um, we sort of looked back at his childhood, and there was so many obvious <laughs> um, signs that he was autistic, but obviously he was our first child, so we didn't have anything to gauge it on. Um, so yeah, looking, you know, he was obsessed with car number plates, he used to say 
the year that the car was made and the full number plate. <laughs> but we just thought at the time that was just Leon, you know, yeah. that was just. Um, so we realised quite quickly that, you know, he was very likely to, to be autistic as well. Um, but he, he didn't have language barriers and things like my daughter did. Um, and he he managed at school, but he did get a full diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder as well. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so both my children um, were then diagnosed. Um, I think Leon was diagnosed about six months after Ivy. Wow. Ivy was seven when she was diagnosed um, and Leon was nine, I think around about that, yeah. So um, with that, so, so uh, there are loads of kind of, I don't know, I want to say myths, but maybe they're not myths. There are loads of beliefs around how boys present and how girls present. Do you mm. see that or do you think that is a myth or do you think there are clear differences? I, I, I think that the girls definitely do present a little bit differently, but I think it's such an individual um, expression. I don't think that you can say across the board, everybody this is what girls are like this is what boys are like I think obviously you can say this is likely um to see how a girl would present and this is likely how a boy would present but my son absolutely does not present as 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 an autistic boy at all um he he holds it in at school um he holds it together you see it more at home yeah Um, you know he's starting to seep into school a bit more since he started um, senior school and they are picking up on it more but he definitely doesn't present you know you wouldn't necessarily know that he's autistic until you'd spent a period of time with him and then you would start yeah say, oh yes I can see there's little differences so that's um, almost so- almost kind of like a girl trait isn't it that they're masking it and holding it in so it does just make your point that whilst you can look online and you can go okay you know in the main people present like this if they're a boy and in the main they present like this with a girl don't take it as black and white because it's just so different for everyone exactly that and I think you know and I think it it does it's very different and I think sometimes what can make it different as well is the level of anxiety so my daughter's level of anxiety is extreme severely extreme her psychiatrist has said she's never seen another child with such an amount of anxiety my son's anxiety yes he does have anxiety but it is not to the extent that my daughter is sometimes I think that that could have a bearing on it um, because obviously the more anxious you are and the more you're dealing with anxiety the more difficult life situations are because you're trying to deal with life but you're also trying to deal with the anxiety so I sometimes wonder if that has a big bearing um, on it as well yeah about how how it how it presents but equally girls can be extremely anxious but seem perfectly fine at school and it's hugely common for them to be absolutely brilliant at school and have a terrible time at home and really struggle um but in reality the problem is school is 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 the thing that's causing that because they're they're wanting to please you know you want to fit in you want to do the right thing and I think also with girls they tend to find oh if I'm quiet if I just sit here and be quiet and don't do anything no one's going to notice me Mm -hmm. everything's going to be all right and I can just 
carry on going and I'll be all right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is, you know, kind of what happens with girls. And I also think there's a lot where kind of girls have to get on with it to a certain degree. And I think that's put on them from a really young age. You know, they say, oh, come on, it's okay. You'll be all right. That's, you know, we have to do these things and everything could be all right. But the reality is a lot of the time they're not or they will be for a period of time, but then they'll have a huge burnout. Um, And I definitely see this um, in all of my um, family, in my husband, in my son and in my daughter, you know, that the the trying to keep it together um, has a huge impact on on all aspects of their life. Yeah. So does that then, like you were saying, does that then they keep it together in the public eye and then when they come home, is that when it's all released? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, they will just need absolutely complete rest, downtime, no conversation, no talking. So my daughter can go um, and have you know social do social things of course and she enjoys them and and absolutely at the time really really likes doing it um but it it's it's like it takes all your energy which i can relate to as well so if you do something you you do want to do it but afterwards it's almost like someone has just taken all the energy out of you um it takes you every single part of you to be able to do that yeah Um, and I don't even know at the time, sometimes if you realise that at the time, yeah. because times I've been in situations and I thought, oh, I'm okay, I feel okay, actually. And it's not until afterwards that I feel absolutely exhausted and I have to go and lay on the sofa and have a sleep because I just feel absolutely drained. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I think I'm okay. And I think that this is sometimes what happens um with anyone on the spectrum where they think, oh, I'm okay, I'm coping. But in reality, they're probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's it's extremely difficult. And I think it's very difficult for parents when their their child is okay at school and the school say, well, we don't see anything, everything's fine. Yeah. Um, and I've been there and I absolutely had that with, um, with my daughter. Um, and it, you know, in the end she did end up showing a lot more at school because she just couldn't continue but unfortunately some girls don't get to that point and they you know and what happens is I mean my daughter's 10 she's under a psychiatrist she's on medication she's on six different medications now she has severe mental health problems and I believe it is all because of trying to fit in and trying to be someone that she wasn't and mm-hmm. and feeling that it's not okay to be me you know um at school she was so concerned about people judging her um and that's a really must be a really horrible feeling to feel um every day so so when when she was at school and holding it all together and then she would come home so the difference between the school saying she's fine and what you saw at home what is it that you were seeing at home oh um at huge meltdowns i mean we wouldn't even um get to the the school gate and ivy would be in full meltdown so she would be shouting saying she was tired um sometimes she would just lay on the floor and just refuse to walk Mm -hmm. um i think because she was at the point where she 
she saw me and she knew it was almost home and she just couldn't hold it anymore she just couldn't do it uh, and this is where the school started to realize obviously that things were happening um because we had one incident um where she put herself onto the school railings after school and she wouldn't let go and i tried everything and we'd been there for about 40 minutes and in the end the this head teacher and other teachers had to come out and physically remove her from the school um, because she just she was stuck I think she just was in such a state and they saw that and then a lot of that started to happen in the mornings so it would be before school and after school were absolutely just horrendous Um, and it just basically got more and more difficult Um, and I was having to like for instance going to school I would have to physically remove her from the house um, to get her into the car she would scream the whole way to school um, I mean that, it got that really, must have been utterly heartbreaking for you it, it was awful and also my son was in the car because he went to the same school yeah. so he would be crying because he couldn't cope because obviously it, it was so stressful so noisy yeah. um, and it deteriorated you know I mean one morning she tried to strangle herself with the seatbelt um it, it it just got to the point where I just thought this isn't okay mm. and the school kept saying oh but you know once she's in she's fine everything's fine and I kept thinking this this can't be no it's not this isn't okay. no um but I was lucky in the sense that um she went to a mental health appointment this was before she'd obviously got a psychiatrist and everything and we went to the initial assessment and um, she had a really, really big meltdown in the initial assessment. Um, so the the clinician saw it and they yeah. said, wow, I think they were apps. I don't think they'd ever seen yeah. a, a full meltdown. So I think that as much as that was really difficult and hard to, to do and go through, I actually think it was really good that she did that. Yeah. Because they saw it, you know, and that was really the people that we needed to see it because obviously it was the mental health um, stuff so straight away they said this isn't okay they stepped in they made it very clear that um she couldn't stay at the school that it um it wasn't okay to force her into school this this wasn't acceptable um yeah good yeah so it, it 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 was difficult and then she went from there, she went to, um, we thought it would sort things out, she went to a special, specialist school, mm. a specialist school, um, but she did ten a 10 week induction into the school and she just couldn't cope and her mental health got really, 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 really bad again and the school decided at that point they just couldn't support her, okay. they said, Look, you know, in reality we just mm. can't support her. So we had a long conversation with her mental health practitioner, the psychiatrist, education and everyone, because obviously she had, at that point, she had an EHCP. Yeah. Um, and we were all in agreement that she needed a residential school. Okay. Um, she, she'd been in three different set, day settings and we decided that all of us together, and even Ivy, we spoke to Ivy and she said that she wanted to go to residential school. She said... Being at home and being at school is too difficult. Yeah. Transitioning was so difficult for her. Um, and just managing it all was just, just too much. 
So um, it it went to panel and they agreed that she needed a residential replacement. So she actually just started her residential placement about four weeks ago. Okay. Um, So she absolutely loves it. That's fantastic. Yeah, she really, really loves it. And it's it's lovely to see her happy. And for once, you know, she feels that it's right for her. You know, it's where she should be. That's brilliant. Uh, Good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's took, you know, and she's 10. She's just only really now in the right school. Brilliant. Uh, And we've took the school doesn't do um, GCSEs or follow the curriculum. They do something called numbers for life and reading for life. Okay. So they, they teach, you know, that what from the curriculum what you need. Okay. They teach the full curriculum because the full curriculum puts so much pressure on the school and on the child. Yeah. And we was all in agreement that actually that just wasn't helpful. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing to say that at any point later that Ivy can't um, return to education and, yeah. and if she do that, absolutely do that. Um, I mean, I've only just recently returned to education because I always struggled with education. So, you know, I, I think there's nothing to say she won't ever do that. But yeah. right now, that's not the right choice for Ivy. Yeah. Um, so, we're yeah, and she's just, I mean, she's she's so happy there. It's lovely, lovely to see. Um, she's, she's supposed to ring us. She hasn't even rung us this so <laughs> week, and it's Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> so... And she, although that's bad, that's good, you know. Because she, and if she rings us, she'll say, "Oh, can I go now?" Because you just, I'm, I'm having so much fun. I need oh, to go. That must so, be incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this, yeah, the school really, they feel that she really fits in. And, and how so, does she cope with the transition coming home at weekends? Then she seems to be coping really well. I've actually, she seems really calm at the weekend. Um, which is is nice. We kind of have a complete rest day on Saturdays because obviously she's had the whole week. Yeah. Um, and then normally we try and do something on a Sunday. We might go. She likes to go out on her bike, or we'll go to the park, or yeah. do, try and do a little something. Yeah. Then um, I take her back Monday mornings because I transport her. Okay. Um, mornings and pick her up Friday afternoon. Great. Um, but yeah, she's you know she's just it's just so nice to see her happy and healthy and and the, all the mental health um difficulties they've not gone away but obviously they're managed she was self-harming so much um before mm-hmm. and was in so much damage to herself and now all that has completely gone away yeah. she just doesn't do that um so yeah it's it's lovely to see and, and to me that just reinforces the fact that she was in the wrong yeah sense. You know, it absolutely was the wrong setting yeah. for her um, and it's damaging mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's very tricky because I, I I understand where the school's coming from to a degree. If they're looking at a child and they, they think, well, they're, they're, everything's okay, I don't see it. Um, but equally, I think they haven't got the right to, to say there isn't a problem. If the parents are saying, look, you know, this is going on. Yeah. Uh, this is what I, what's happening at home. I think they are not mental health specialists. Mm-hmm. This is one thing that the mental health team made very clear to to the school senko when the school senko was repeatedly saying, "But she's okay." 
the, the mental health nurse said to the Senko, are you trained in mental health? Mm-hmm. She said, no. no. And she said, do you know what you're looking for when you're looking for anxiety? She said, well, I'm looking for someone having a meltdown. She said, that's just not correct. She said, so you cannot make judgments about a child's mental health unless yeah. you are a mental health practitioner, nurse, psychiatrist, psychologist. You know, you cannot make no. these judgments as a Senko. <clears throat> and it's actually damaging to make those judgments. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of the problem. Um, so that's that's useful for people then, is that because I think a lot of people probably do just think the Senko knows what they're talking about. But recognising that the Senko has a lot of skills. Absolutely, They're the yes. skills related to being a Senko, not a mental health yes. practitioner or something else. Exactly. And I think, you know, there's some absolutely brilliant um, Senkos out there. And as much as Ivy's school was, was difficult at times, that they were good. Yeah. You know, they absolutely supported as best they could. They got her EHCP for her. Um, it just got to the point where I could no longer manage taking her into school in that way and I felt it wasn't right for her um so and that was obviously the mental health made that decision as well yeah Uh, and I just think if you honestly really believe in your heart and you know that it isn't right then I would say tell people that and don't don't let people you know cloud your judgment yeah because I think parents we know our children better than anyone totally uh, you know and I knew that this what couldn't be right when I was seeing everyone else around me their children were just walking out of the school and just walking into the school and I was having world war three battle and yeah. um, just you know I just thought this can't this isn't okay um and I think as well what I didn't realize at the time because the school was saying oh this is okay I thought that it was allowed that they could do this yeah. that I could you know that she could be forced and actually the mental health made it very clear that's wrong yeah you know that isn't right and it's not okay so I think I learned that as well that you know I should have maybe took a step back and really thought this isn't okay mm-hmm. but again it's you you don't know and you're, you're trusting in people around yeah. you you know and they were saying oh but she's okay when she's in and it's just you know the initial part and so I thought, oh, well, they know, you know, they've been doing this for years. and um, But unfortunately, that just wasn't the case. How, how yeah. did you find um, being a parent at the school gates with this behaviour going on? How did that the, impact on you? The, the first school she was at, it was absolutely awful because it was it was a school where it was like the co- a, a cookie cutter child. So... All the girls had their hair a certain way. All the girls looked a certain way. I was lucky if Ivy would let me brush her hair, mm-hmm. let alone three plait it with bows. Yes. Ivy was never, <clears throat> ever fitting in that box of yeah. that school. So that straight away was very, very difficult because obviously I felt judged. You know, I felt almost like, well, I'm not capable of doing that. I can't make her look like the other children you know Um, because that's the kind of pressure you feel under um but very quickly I realized that actually that's not okay and you know we're not any less or you know we 
it doesn't matter if we can't look like that. Mm -hmm. And actually, after a while, I didn't want to look like that or for her to be like that because mm -hmm. they're just the same. You know, they're, they, they're not bringing anything different. Um, but, yeah, that first school, I felt very, very isolated, very yeah. alone. And, I mean, there, it was even to the point where once people knew that there was a difference because you could start to see there was a gap between her and her peers it was it was very evident you know I had parents that used to talk to me stop talking to me mm. I've had friends and then she'd come home and say they said I can't play anymore and you know it, it was really difficult really yeah. difficult and I felt it got almost to toxic yeah. so I that was another reason why I wanted to move away from there because I knew that their ideas of what you should be like and what you should look like, we're never going to be like that. Yeah. And it's just harmful to be in that situation. And her new school was brilliant because there was much more um, of, of a varied type of person, so much more of a varied background. Yeah. It was, it was more of a real-life sort of situation and scenario, whereas the other school was quite a bit of a bubble. You know, this is not real the real world really yeah. um so yeah so there wasn't really a benchmark at the new school you know there wasn't that oh this is how you should look they're just yeah. everyone's so different I also guess every parent there has got a child who's having some challenges at the other school so that probably made them much more understanding and warmer to you I would imagine yeah yeah absolutely and I just think that it that was never judged. It was. Mm -hmm. I never felt judged there. I, I felt all, all, all I ever felt there was accepted. I never once had a situation with a parent where I thought, oh, they've, you know, it just wasn't like that. And Ivy equally, when she left her first school, she had one friend. And when she left her second school, she had 10 friends. Yeah. So to me, that showed everything. She was invited to parties at the second school, whereas at the first school, I remember there being whole class parties and she was the only one not invited. Oh, heartbreaking. Like, it was just awful. And then it would all be on Facebook and, you know, and you just think, like, I don't understand, you know. I don't, she's not hurt anyone or, you know, she's never been physical or anything like that with other children. So if you, just... if you were to take yourself out of the shoes that you know and being Ivy's mum and you were to put yourself into the shoes of a parent at the first school, what do you think is in their brain that stops them? What do you think is going through their head that stops them from inviting Ivy to parties? Or Because I think that they're bothered about what other people think. Okay. Um, I think it's a judgment thing. Um, I, don't, I, I don't fully know. It was like people were scared. Like I think almost like oh if you you know if you're with her you're going to become like her, yeah. which is ridiculous. Um, I'm not saying all you know. There was some re there was a couple of parents there that were good, but I would say 95% of them weren't. Yeah, and and that was just too much for me. Um, I, I struggled with it as well, and I just I felt it's just not a not where I wanted her, my daughter to be. Yeah. Um, and I moved my son as well. Um, he, she, my daughter went first and then a little while later um, I moved my son and he actually even said he preferred the second school. 
Um, Because at that point, he wasn't really having any difficulties or anything. Mm. Uh, He's always been at school, not really had any problems. And even he said that he preferred the children at the second school. He said they judge me on what I've got or who, you know, they're more bothered about me. Yes. Um, I think it was it was definitely the right decision. Yeah, it sounds like it. So all all of this and everything that happened with... Ivy's diagnosis, your son's diagnosis, your husband going, this is also me, um, yeah. then started to make you question your own self. Yeah, well, my, my husband got um, a diagnosis. He was, I think it was about six months before he was 40, um, which was about six months ago. Um, and I, I didn't always think I was um, autistic. I did start to question it. Um, because I'd always had a mental health difficulties, so I'd always had moments of feel like what I'd, they'd been told was depression yeah. or feeling low. Um, I'd also always had problems with eating, um, like binge eating, struggling to maintain my weight, always up, very up and down. Um, so, like you know, really focused on doing a diet, do it, but then put, you know, struggle and put the weight back up, up and down, up and down. Yeah. Always eating problems um and it wasn't really until after my husband got diagnosed that I started to think about it and it was actually when Ivy I did something and Ivy said to me I think you're autistic mum and I said what and she said I think you are autistic and um a lot of things that I do I have always just done so I just thought again like anyone yeah. me and then it wasn't really until I sort of really thought about it and I thought, do you know, I actually think maybe I am autistic. And because I hadn't had the traditional kind of interests, so like exercising has always been a real big interest for me. Yeah. Um, it becomes almost obsessional. Mm-hmm. So um, I, and I convinced myself that, you know, like... Um, for a little while I, I was training with weights and I wanted to build muscle and you know I'm gonna but you know and it's like you take on the whole persona of that it's not just oh I'm gonna do a few weights and you know I, like I was weighing my food I was really strict with my exercise I was really strict with what I was eating um I think it's like you take it to a whole new level yeah um, and I think that that's what it's, or what I find with with myself, is it's quite standard interests. So things that you would expect them to be interested in, yeah. But it's it goes beyond the average. Yeah. So it 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 sort of becomes like I have to live it. It's you know, it's almost part of me. And I think that's the um, I think that's the difference. Okay. Um, with it and then I you know I just really started to think a lot about it and obviously where I'd done a lot of research and you know sort of took an interest in my daughter I def- I definitely saw it in myself and I thought well actually that would make a lot of sense and like speaking to my mum she said she remembers definitely now me having sensory issues like she bought me a leather jacket and I wouldn't wear it because I said it smelled yeah um, I used to have problems with clothing. Um, so, yeah, a lot of men, <laughs> yeah. thinking back to childhood, I had problems at school. 
um, and she used to go in regularly, but they didn't quite know what was wrong. Um, so again, you know, that's that kind of situation. Um, so she, and she said now she can see that, you know, obviously not not as it wasn't probably as pronounced as Ivy, mm-hmm. but it she definitely said now I can see that side of you, you know. So, so um, what, what is it that, because um, I know some people will wonder this, your husband obviously pursued a diagnosis at, at late in, later on in life and you're, although not diagnosed, you're on the pathway to being diagnosed. Yeah. For what gain? What will this do for you? I think, yeah, that, you know, when I got referred to the mental health unit um, and they said, we think it's likely that you are autistic, you're definitely showing that, and they said you know, we can refer you to the Asperger's unit, but we, why do you want a diagnosis? Mm. And I said, I want a diagnosis, or I, I just want to know, yeah. I want to know, was that why so much of my life was difficult? Yeah. Was that why when everyone else seemed to be getting along and I was always left out or I was always on the edge, I always felt not quite good enough mm-hmm. or I always felt just on the edge, just not fully in the same situation as everyone else. I always felt just not quite right. You know, is that why? I just yeah. want to know that. Is that because then I'll know, right, okay, that's why I felt like that. And that's why I feel like this now. You know, sometimes now I still, you know, really struggle. And, you know, if I make a mistake or, you know, it can take me a long time to get over it, you know, if I, if or if somebody if there's a situation and you, you, you know you have a difficulty with someone sometimes I don't fully understand why what have I done why is that not worked out I don't I feel like I've done everything right I don't know why I don't understand it um, and I still you know I'm like that a lot and it can take me days to process that and to accept that mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think it's important I just would like to know is, is that what it is it won't change me as a person yeah. but it'll just give me an explanation well it's no know. different to having something physically wrong with you is it because if you've got you know like I, I damaged a ligament in my ankle um at the start of February and I know that I can't do bunny hops and burpees at the moment because my ankle's still sore so I, I, yeah. I know why and it's that knowing why isn't it it's the exactly. just because you can't see it doesn't mean you know you shouldn't understand that that's had an impact exactly exactly yeah. and I think I think a lot of um, with with being autistic, there's more than just being autistic. It's rare that that is the only yes. sort of. Well, I was going to mention stuff. that because um, everyone that I speak to and that we've met in the community tends to, and this is a generalisation, be autistic and have mental health issues. Um, and and just listening to the story of Ivy and yourself, it makes me wonder if the mental health issues are a result of that kind of clash of being a bit different and trying to conform and fit in, but being unable to, and therefore questioning yourself and your self-worth and, and thinking there's something wrong with you rather than different with you. Yeah, and that, yeah. that maybe is a, a trigger for other mental health issues. I don't know. I absolutely think that um, I think when when you're autistic, you might be kind of more likely to develop mental health difficulties. I just think 
from what I've seen a lot of people that, that are autistic do. But I do think, for instance, with my daughter, that I think her mental health is as severe as it is because of what she's been through. Yeah. You know, I, I, I often think about it and I think, how would I feel as as a person if I didn't want to go to a job, you know, I really didn't want to do that, but then the manager got me, grabbed me by the arm every day and dragged me into yeah. the office, forced me down on the seat and made me stay there and do my work, you know, how would I feel? Yeah. I wouldn't treat another adult like that. No. You just wouldn't. So why are children being treated like that? Yeah. And I think that that's got a, a lot to, for me, I think a lot of people need to listen to children more because to me, mm -hmm. that behaviour Ivy was, was showing was her way of saying, I am not coping. Yeah. I am really not coping. I need help. And I think if you're repeatedly ignored, mm -hmm. then it's going to have an impact on your mental health. Yeah, it makes and you feel totally unlistened to and not valued. and Exactly. And just completely overwhelmed and misunderstood. And, and I think that I definitely think as adult, autistic adults, if you've not been diagnosed, I think it is more difficult. And I think it definitely does have more of an impact on your mental health. You know, I know with my husband, he just said he just felt like all of his life that he was just an alien, like just weird, just couldn't understand. And, 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 I, and I get that. And I think that, you know, you are going to have some kind of impact on your mental health by feeling like that all of your life. And, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really difficult. So for you, what, what helps? What keeps you, what keeps you on track? So, um... I definitely think that I um, overanalyze things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we were saying earlier about if there's an incident, I will play that over and over in my head. Could I, should I have done this? Should I have done that? Um, and that becomes really exhausting. Yeah. So what I try and um, do, and, I'm, and all what I say, I try and do, and believe me, it is never easy and it you know and I have days where I don't do it and I can't do it and I have a disaster but ultimately I try and do these steps to make myself in a better place so when I start to overanalyze things I have to try and say to myself stop mm -hmm. wait one moment you know is what I'm thinking is this realistic so try and look at the evidence is there evidence to back up what I'm thinking or is this just me with my emotions and the emotions have built up and that I'm kind of making it more than what it is mm -hmm. um, and overanalyzing it because I think then your mind starts to play tricks on you and it brings other scenarios in yeah. and it's just endless you know the, the, the pit of anxiety is endless yeah. so try and say right stop look at the evidence is there any evidence to back up what I, my mind's telling me. Yeah. Um, so try and gain back a little bit of control over that, over your mind and over the situation. Mm -hmm. Because I think your emotions, either you control them or they will control you. That's one thing I've definitely learned. Um, so I tend to try and do that. I also listen to a lot of, um, after I've trained, because I, I work out quite a bit. So quite often, I like, that keeps me, yeah. you know, um, feeling good as well um, 
And quite often after that, when I'm stretching out or just relaxing, I listen to positive um, things on YouTube. So I know I listen to a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love I love his. He's a great uh, story, him. Yeah, That's, I love yeah. his positive, you know, outlook on life. So I listen to a bit of him. Um, and there's a guy called Les Brown as well, which he's an inspirational speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to a lot of him, mm-hmm. and I look at you know quite often. I look, I try and look up quotes online. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I definitely am obsessed with uh, collecting quotes. Right. <laughs> so, but I try and keep positive quotes. Like on my phone, I've got a positive quote on on my screen. Yeah. Um. So that's really good. Sometimes I do um, meditation as well. Okay. Um. I've got an app. Um, which I'll try and do if I'm really struggling. I think, right, I need to have some time, you know. And I also do, um, I walk in the woods with my dog. Mm-hmm. And that, that's quite, you know, that gives my mind a rest. And also I think I try my hardest not to be too critical on myself because I think, again, you can overanalyze that again as well and think, you're not good enough and you know, there's all these or you've done this wrong or that wrong I think it's so easy to fall into that trap so I try and you know think about your self-talk so what you're saying in your mind to yourself yeah um, you know I try and keep a monitor on that and an eye on that because otherwise you're telling yourself things without really realizing it yeah so, so, yeah, so from that you're saying basically number one you kind of analyze your analyzing thoughts and kind of try and get a grasp grasp of what's within your control and what's not yes Two, you take some time out for you to do exercise three you make sure that what is going into your brain is only positive stuff where possible and then four if you're really struggling take some time out and meditate so I think there are some really good tips Uh, talking of the the control thing my my daughter's has a fair bit of anxiety as well and one of the things that the teacher got to do with her um is usually at night when all her anxiety comes out so we had a whiteboard and we would have to write down what was worrying her and if if it was something that she couldn't do anything about we wrote it in red and if it was something that she could influence we wrote it in green and That's that good. really really helped her because then all the red stuff's all well, you can't control any of that so get that bit out of your brain and now yeah. we can put a plan in place for the green stuff that you can influence yeah. um, and yeah, that, yeah. that really helped her and sometimes what I do as well because obviously I write a blog yeah. but sometimes I write about things that I'm struggling with but I don't publish it so I write it but then sometimes I burn it or I rip it up into little pieces and it's a way of letting it go because yeah. I think if you get it out then yes. you've, you're letting it go it doesn't work for everyone but I, I mean my daughter definitely does that she um draws pictures so when she's struggling she'll use art to express Uh feelings um and we find that really helps her so i sometimes do that write it down you know i've written several blogs but i've never published them yeah what i want people to read but it's just a way of getting it out and then destroying it so then it's like right that's gone let's let it go you know um but any any it's it's a constant constant battle sometimes i don't win and I end up in an absolute state with my emotions and and out of control and my mind's all over the place um you know ultimately on good days I get back control of it 
But I think when you start to have other things going on, stresses and problems, that's when it becomes less manageable. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're kind of the key things that I do to keep. Yeah. No, that's yeah. really useful. Um, there's a couple of other things that have sprung into my head that I'd love to touch on. Um, one is, um, so you're basically a family of four people with autism. Yeah. Um, you and your husband never knew that when you first met. And mm. I find that quite fascinating. Do you think that's almost why you fell in love, that you were too... I think, I think um, like attracts like. Yeah. That's, that's how I look at it, that you, you know, you, you attract sort of almost what you are. Yes. Or who you are. So, um, and he was quite quirky when I met him and he was different and he definitely was, you know, he, he, he was collecting coffee pots when I met him. I mean, it should have been obvious, but obviously <laughs> I wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I liked his difference and I still like his difference. Yeah. Like I went out yesterday to put the rubbish out and there was this new, um, cause he tends to people, things that people throw away, he tends to like. Yeah. And so had thrown away this really nice ornate um, flower stand thing mm -hmm. and uh, he took it and it was outside our house and it's really lovely and yeah. we're gonna you know rub it down and repaint it so you know but I like that about him yeah you know that, that it, he's different yeah and that's that's great you know it's because you you come across things that you wouldn't normally like nobody that would still be in the rubbish and it wouldn't be used so yeah that goes back to what Ivy's saying. That, yeah, you know, your daughter would approve of that because he's saving it. Does, it. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. Um, you know, so, yeah, I guess we've all, you know, got our own ways, haven't we? But, but I um, hear more and more where families, there is autism in the family. So what, what do you think, why is that coming about? I think, um, obviously, for me personally, I feel that, um, being autistic is genetic so it is you know it sort of goes through families yeah. I think people are just becoming more educated about that perhaps yeah. and you know realizing once they do a little bit of research oh actually it's probably likely to be genetic oh well and then maybe looking at themselves like me and my mum were talking and we said she absolutely believes that my granddad was right. autistic absolutely now she says I mean he used to be have obsessions yeah. like one after the other um right up until his real old age i mean in his uh late 70s early 80s he was making rugs you know because he, he couldn't move about but he used to sit in his chair and make rugs yeah uh, he always had a passion or something and so yeah so i think that maybe that's what it is people are becoming more educated about that and and realizing and maybe as well you know that that they've got multiple children and then the ch all the children end up you know with being realizing oh they're, they're all autistic yeah uh, so then oh you know again then re-looking oh well okay if they are where is it this must be coming from somewhere so because yeah. um, I, I noticed on your facebook page you've got against autism cures yes so tell me about that so um i don't agree with people that there's quite a few people out there that want autism to be cured or that see it as a disease mm -hmm. or um, a disadvantage yeah and I, I disagree with that absolutely disagree with that I'm not I'm not saying that um, some situations aren't difficult of course you know I've been through extremely difficult situations with my daughter so I'm never disputing that no. 
I think that you have to embrace it in a different way. You know, there's nothing wrong with my daughter she or, or any of us. She ju- We just see things differently. Well, I love that quote that you've got in your... I'm, I'm going to read it It's because I love it. I'm beautiful, not broken. Different, not less. Challenged, not challenging. Overwhelmed, not spoiled. Autumn is not a choice. Acceptance is. Yeah. And that that is that just sums up all of it, really, doesn't it? And absolutely. And, and that whole judgment of um, overwhelmed, not spoiled, because I think people do look in and think, oh, it's behaviour management, or you're spoiling them. Yeah. You yeah. know all that. There's, sort of there's, stuff. A, there's a, another quote that I put together myself, and uh, it is. My children have got a neurological difference. It has nothing to do with my parenting. Yeah, yeah. Because I think so many people make that judgment, you know, that it's got to be the parenting. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely not. It has nothing to do with that. They have, you know, being autistic means that you have a difference in in your brain. Yes. Um, So, you know, that isn't going to affect how I parent. Yeah. Um, We do parent differently. Um, but you have to, you yes. know. Um, but no, I think um, I do not agree with anything, and I also don't agree with forced um, behavioural changes. I'm never going to force Ivy to 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 be anything other than what she is. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. She flaps her hands. She jumps up and down. She makes vocal noises. I'm not going to tell her to stop that. Because that's her and that's what makes her feel safe and allows her to regulate her system because she cannot regulate her senses correctly. Mm -hmm. So when she's being given um, all of the information around her, Mm -hmm. which is constant, you know, you're constantly given sensory information, you know, her body can't deal with that and it becomes almost like a sensory traffic jam. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. She absolutely needs to sort that out and to regulate that and the way she does that is through stimming yeah. you know self-regulation yeah and i'm never gonna tell her not to do that because that is her way of coping the same way that um a neurotypical person would deal with anxiety if they're if they're not autistic they've got anxiety you know they're going to deal with that in a certain way mm-hmm. aren't they they're yeah. going to say right mm-hmm. take take a breath count to three count yeah. to Ever, you're going to be given a way of dealing with that. Yeah. So the way that my daughter deals with those uncomfortable sensory situations yeah. is by self-regulating, yeah. and by doing that, she needs to stim. Yeah. So, and that is what needs to happen. And I think people need to accept that and get used to that. Yeah. And she's not hurting anyone. She's not causing anyone any difficulties or trouble. Um, just because it's different behaviour or looks different. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I think if you, you know, then I've explained why. If you took the time to realise that, then surely it would make sense. You know, she she has terrible trouble with um, sensory, really, really struggles with sensory. It's one of her most difficult um, things. And quite often she can't feel her legs. She mm-hmm. says she can't feel her legs because her proprioceptive system yeah. is really... So she, quite often she'll need to then lay on the floor yeah. for a period of time because that allows her then when the floor touches her whole body it allows her to feel where her body is yeah. because because the sensory system's not working properly she can't feel the yeah. limbs you know so that must feel really strange not mm-hmm. feel your legs so 
if laying on the floor for a few minutes is going to allow her to feel that again and to feel regulated, then that's what she's going to need to do. And to me, it makes sense. I think, again, it's, it's maybe not having that knowledge, but wanting to understand um, the reasoning. Yes. Um, And I definitely think that um, knowledge is power. Like you need to know these things and you need to learn to understand Mm. them because then once you understand it, it makes complete sense. Yes. Um, but I think the issue is that most people don't need to understand it because it's not in their world. It's only the people where it's in their world, they take the time yeah. to understand it. So the other people are looking in from the outside, not understanding it and just thinking it looks odd because they yeah. don't understand it. It's it's yeah. a real difficult situation because, I mean, there are so many things out there beyond autism and sensory processing disorders that people don't understand. It's almost, people understand physical more than anything else so it's almost like if if autism had a big blue growth coming out of your head then people will be able to go oh right get that I understand that but because yeah I think a lot of people struggle with that you know what does what what does being autistic look like well there is no look no autistic it's you know it's um and that's what I think people struggle with they want to put it in a box yes that's what it is they want to put it in a box they want to say this is it. This is what it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, being autistic, you can't because it is an incredibly personal thing. Yeah, yeah there are very similar traits and, and uh, scenarios and ways that you'll react. But ultimately, it is personal and, ha- and how, how you are as a person. Equally, like, you know, um, neurotypical people are extremely different. Everyone's yeah, different. Yeah, that's it. E- equally autistic people are. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's even more challenging for an autistic adult in many ways because behavior, different behavior in children is all, also more accepted because they're children. They're not mm-hmm. the finished article yet. Um, yeah. And most of the people that I've had contact with who are autistic adults, to the lay eye come across as pretty much completely normal because they've had to control themselves to it's like what you said put all that effort into fitting in in that thing and then you go home and you're exhausted or whatever else but sometimes I notice you're doing it as well you've got a wee hand fidget you've got one of our hand fidgets (laughs) um there's there's little things like that that you know that you still need to do as an adult absolutely yeah I mean you know I, I People will probably laugh at me, but um, one of the things that I do quite regularly is me and my husband speaking funny voices to each other. Right. <laughs> so we do like funny voices, and and I we've never really talked about it. And then we were talking about it the other night, and I said I think it's a little bit of a sort of a stim in a yeah. way because we do like really high pitched or mm-hmm. different types of voices to each other. And like my daughter does it, she does like an Italian style voice quite often, or an American. Yeah. And I know it's common with uh, autistics to kind of take on other accents, and you know, with younger children. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think that there is different stims, and I definitely have started to realise now that I do do, you know, things that are actually stims, which I didn't even know really were. Yeah because um, I've recently written a blog about it and um, I, I really didn't know I, and it's not until I sat down and thought about it and I've actually only recently bought the, the fiddle because mm. what I kept doing was picking the side of my thumbs yeah. 
picking my hat and my husband gets this driving me insane like for the last 20 years you've driven me insane with this <laughs> and, uh, and I saw uh, Lorraine had one of these and I thought do you know what I'm gonna just try it yeah and since I bought it I've not picked my thumbs oh brilliant so, um, yeah so I thought no this is obviously what I needed to do yeah um so yeah and obviously I've stopped you know doing that to myself which I didn't never wanted to do but yeah. it was completely out of my control yeah and I notice as well I do a lot of knee uh, bouncing right so I bounce my knees up and down a lot um and I stretch out my hand like my arms so I do yeah. sort of like this quite a lot yeah um, and I think that is all again about regulating yourself yeah. um so I think adults you, you don't you know like in my blog what I said you don't grow out of um, sensory difficulties they don't just you don't wake up one day and go oh that's all gone oh yeah. I'm all right you know it's you know it, adults are still having those difficulties I mean my husband really struggles with um noise uh-huh. because he really like if we go to the cinema or a restaurant he really does struggle with the noise and I think sometimes he'd quite like to wear ear defenders because yeah. daughter wears the ear defenders um and again I think it's that feeling isn't it of being looked at and judged and yeah I think I think now with wireless headphones you can get away with ear defenders you know people just think you're wearing headphones (laughs) but yeah no I get what you're saying so no I think but no so I don't you, you don't grow out of those you know like I still struggle with wearing jeans you know I really struggle with them they're uncomfortable and restricting and so there's definitely still um sensory issues yeah. absolutely um and I don't like really strong smells I really struggle with that yeah um, you know it's funny because when we went on holiday we I remember we went out for dinner and I think we ended up going into about four different restaurants because <laughs> we went into one and it, it there was a strong smell and it was too much yeah. then we went into another and it was too echoey you know the yeah. acoustics to echo so he was back all in at these restaurants I said oh I just want to have something to eat <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah they're the joys of uh, of it and that's sometimes where you do it is frustrating you know I get that yeah um, but I think you just have to get on and embrace it and think you know it isn't it's not wrong it's just different and yeah and that's okay you know it's just a different way of looking at things like when we was out recently with my daughter she loves going to look at these cows and um, there was a big cow pat with all flies. And my mum went, oh, look at that, cow pat with all the flies. And, and Ivy said, but Nanny, the flies love it. <coughs> that's true. And, and, that, and that's so true. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a different way of coming at it and yeah. looking at it. And, um, yeah, and a lot of the times that's what happens with Ivy. She'll say things and I think, oh, I never looked, thought of it in that way or looked at it in that yeah. sense. Yeah, that's um, true. So yeah, I think you have to you have to look at that, and I do make adjustments and for her, and you know I think it, it, where adjustments are possible, they should be made. Yes. Um, because I just think, well, why can't she experience what other people want? You know, like, and I do think sometimes the environments are really extreme. Like, um, we go out, like I said, to restaurants, and you go in the toilet, and there's even music on in the toilet. Yeah. And, and like Ivy says, why do you need music when you're going to the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> and I was, you know, she's right. And, yeah. you know, I think that maybe we do need to think more about environments and yeah. how stimulating they are. They're so stimulating. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah no it is um it is difficult yeah well that has been brilliant i can't believe that's been over an hour i've been talking to you and i could honestly talk to you for another hour it's so interesting it really is is there anything that you would want to say as a kind of final message to everyone um just you know with your children listen to your children you know and this a big thing is listen to other autistics you know, if you want to know something, if you're a neurotypical typical parent and you don't know what's happening or you don't know how to cope, speak to autistics. You know, they'll always be happy to to list to listen and to answer questions. You know, if you if you want to learn, then that's that's really good. But I definitely think that you you know ask adults that are autistic because they've been there and they yeah. know what it felt like. Um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just accept your child for who they are, um, <coughs> and if you are struggling, ask an you know autistics because yeah. they 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 can give you the best answer. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that has been brilliant. And if you want to follow Kate's journey, then Girls Autistic Journey on Facebook, and from there yeah. you will get the link to the blog, and you can see everything that you need to see. So <laughs> thank you once again. That has been really useful. No problem. Okay. So, what did you think of Kate's interview, Lorraine? Amazing. I, lo- I know Kate personally, so it was really nice to listen to her and know that I know her. Yeah, absolutely. And she's got so many good things to say, great tips and extremely passionate. Yeah, she's an amazing lady. And like we said at the beginning, her page has so much information on it. It's well worth going and liking that page. Definitely. Absolutely. So that's Kate. So next week we've got Luke, um, Luke Murphy. And he is, well, he's got quite a story to tell, shall we say. Um, He is wheelchair bound, but he plays wheelchair football. And he's just really, really inspirational. So... That's what I'm most excited about, finding out about wheelchair football. I think it sounds amazing. Absolutely. I couldn't get my head around how you do it, but all will be revealed in the interview next week, so you want to tune in for that one. So that's us. So as we say, we're recording this last week, the the, the bit before and after the interview. Um, yeah. So we're going to run off now and busy ourselves getting ready for the autism show, which by the time you listen to this will have happened, and we'll probably have seen yeah. lots of you there. I was going to say, everybody that we've met this weekend... It's lovely to meet you. It's really nice to actually see physical people. Yes, it is, because we all work remotely from each other, so we only get to, to speak like this, I suppose, don't we? So when we see real yeah. people, it's really exciting. Yeah. All right, have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye. You know what?